we have seen in the book of Hebrews, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging that we would not give up. Do not lose heart. Do not lose faith. Continue to be steadfast even in the face of suffering, persecution, difficulties, and trials. That's been the main thrust of the book. And we noted in the past couple of lessons out of Hebrews that he hits yet another warning section and reminds them about how Israel failed to enter the rest, but a rest still remains for the people of God. And you might notice in chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so he's now pressing them and saying, let's go forward and let's not lose heart and let's not give up. Now, if you've grown up in the pews or you've been around church long enough, you have probably heard a lesson that told you to stop sinning and try harder. <laughs> you know, it's kind of how everything, in fact, I use that as a joke. If somebody asks me, what are you preaching on Sunday? My answer always is stop sinning <laughs> because Really, it often boils down to that. And it's true. The scriptures often always tell us, stop sinning, try harder. But I think it's important for us to notice that the writer of Hebrews is not just simply saying, okay, you just need to try harder. But in fact, he's going to give us the help that we need for that based on the priest that we have. And you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he begins to give us that picture. Hebrews 4 verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He just starts off by saying, I want you to know that we have a great high priest. That has been a point that was made back in chapter 2 and verse 17 that the Son became like us in every respect so that He could become a merciful and faithful high priest. We have this great high priest. Now, what is the point of having a high priest? The big question is, well, so what? We have a high priest. What is that supposed to do for us? What does that mean? Well, you might even notice he'll get there. We're not going to get there this morning. But chapter 5 verse 1 gives an explanation of of short summary about the role of a high priest. Chapter 5 verse 1, For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. The, the point is that what the high priest does is he represents the people in matters pertaining to God. He stands between God and the people. He represents the people and he is able then to help the people in making sacrifices on their behalf. And notice the writer of Hebrews is saying that we have a high priest, but it's not just any high priest. We have a great high priest. We have a superior high priest, which is described in verse 14 because it says that he has passed through the heavens. The idea of that is our high priest is not standing in a physical tabernacle, the point that he will really emphasize in a few chapters, but rather we have a high priest who is able to stand in the very presence of God. He has passed through the heavens. He is in the presence of God and he is there on our behalf. And the point then of verse 14 is very simple. You are able to have endurance and you are able to have confidence. You are able to not lose faith 
because you have a great high priest. You have a great high priest standing between you and the Lord Almighty. You have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and he is doing his work on your behalf in the very presence of God. That's where he wants us to start. You need to understand that you have the high priest that you need. And he's standing there in God's presence. And he's working on your behalf. And he's making his offering on your behalf there in God's very presence. Now I think the next big question that comes out of that is, well, then how does Jesus function then? As this great high priest, and how does that exactly help us? You say, okay, I've got a great high priest. And he's standing between me and God. How does that help me endure? Glad you asked. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says, I want you to understand the great high priest you have. Not only is he a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and stands in the very presence of God on our behalf, but he gives us now the picture in verse 15 that we have a high priest who is able to understand, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I want you to just for a moment be astounded by that idea and let that settle in for a minute. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes human so that He can experience life as we experience it. And then He goes back to the presence of God and stands in the presence of God on our behalf, interceding for us. And notice the picture that is given to us about the work of Jesus. Because what I would expect this to say is, and here is Jesus and He is working there and He's saying, I was a human like you. What's the matter with you? I've been there. Why don't you be sinless like me? But that's not what He's doing. Notice what it says. It does not say that Jesus is frustrated with us or that He is angry with us or can't believe that we keep falling down on our faces. He says He's able to sympathize with those weaknesses. He understands exactly what you and I are going through. That's the whole reason He became human. That's one of the big points of why He becomes human. is so that He can understand our condition. That He can experience life as we would experience it. And the idea of Him being sympathetic is far deeper than how we often use that word. When we talk about having sympathy for someone, think about what you usually mean by that. You kind of just mean like, well, I feel for them. You know, I, my heart goes out to them is kind of what we mean by that. And there's certainly an aspect of that truth with Christ in us, but that's really not the whole idea. He certainly feels for us, but it goes much further than that because he has actually experienced it. It's not that he's third party far away going, well, I have no idea what that is like and I feel for you. He feels for you and understands you because he is part of the human condition. He experienced it. He knows what temptation is like. He knows what testing is like. 
He knows what suffering is like. He knows what rejection is like. He knows what life is like. He knows what the human condition is all about. It's not just merely an emotional identification, I feel for you, I am your sympathetic high priest. He knows what that is. He knows what it is to be human. And I think that is so important to think about. That the Son did not simply choose to sympathize from afar, but chose to experience what it means to be a human. He chose to experience what life was like. And thus He did. He was tempted... He was tested, and yet you will notice the point that the writer wants to underscore in verse 15, and yet he experienced it without sinning. He experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. He experienced trials. He experienced all that life has. And he knows what that is like, and he was able to do it without sinning. Now, sometimes I think we can struggle with that idea, but I want us to see why that is actually superior in many ways. It's superior in this one aspect as well. Jesus knows what faithful endurance looks like far better than any of us. You say, now, how can Jesus know faithful endurance better than any of us? Because all of us have caved in and he never did. When temptation came, he never faltered. We have. We've allowed trials to crush us, not him. When suffering came, he didn't waver. You see, faithful endurance is exactly what Jesus knows. And to a degree that none of us have ever known, because he was able to do it successfully. We have all capitulated. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. We have all caved in. To think about the life of Jesus and to realize for all of the human experiences and all that He dealt with, He never sinned. I joke with you about that from time to time and when we study the Gospels and I'll say, you know, if that were me, here's what I would have done. Like when everybody is mocking Him on the cross saying, if you are the Son of God, come down off the cross... What would a normal human want to do? Okay, watch this. Let me show you. I am faithful endurance. Faithfully enduring every trial, every difficulty, every point of suffering, every temptation, everything. He's experienced all of that. And the point that it was need to be seen for us is that he experiences the feelings that we feel. He experiences the emotions that we have, the tests that we face, the temptations that we see, the pain that we endure. We mentioned this back in chapter 2. I'll bring it up again. It is important that we do not hold the divinity of Jesus to such an extreme that we fail to think that He did not experience life like we experience it. You know, that He walked into a temptation and went, well, I'm the Son of God, and so this is easy for me. That is not having the high priest that we need. He had to experience the human condition for Him to be the high priest that we need. He had to become human. 
to be able to see what we are seeing pictured here, that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and sympathizes with our condition. Sometimes the question is brought up, well, doesn't he have to experience the sins that we experience to understand what we need? I've heard that argument made before. It's like, well, you know, he was never married or he never had kids. And boy, you want to talk about temptation and a trial or, you know, things like that that are often brought up. Well, he didn't do that and he didn't do this. And so therefore he actually doesn't understand. And I would like to challenge that for a moment. If you were to go to a doctor or a surgeon, let's pretend you have cancer and you are going to go to a surgeon. Does that surgeon have to have the exact same cancer as you and his body presently to know how to help you? We don't operate like that. We don't go, okay, let me find a doctor who has my cancer presently. And that way he can understand. That's not what we mean by that. That's not what we need. The point is he knows the condition and he knows what to do to solve it. That is the doctor you need. That's the whole point of Jesus becoming human. Is he experienced the human condition? He knows what you need. He knows what you are suffering. He knows what the condition is like. He understands what temptation looks like. He understands what suffering looks like. It doesn't require him to go through 400 million different experiences to not understand what we're going through. Just as much as you don't need a doctor to experience chemotherapy before you trust the doctor. Of course, you trust the doctor. Because he knows the condition. He knows exactly what you need. And you can rely on him. And that's what Jesus did. He knows the human condition. He knows what you are going through. He knows what you've experienced. And therefore, he is exactly what we need. That's what verse 15 is beautifully picturing. We do not have a high priest in Jesus who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands your suffering. And he understands your pain. And he understands your temptations. And he understands the weight of trials. He understands everything of what it means to be human. And all that is entailed with that. He understands that. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp in verse 15. Which brings us to verse 16. With then the final question. So what does that do for us? Since we have a great high priest who understands what life is like and understands the human condition with its trials and temptations because he experienced life the way we experience life, what does that do for us? Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I want you to be blown away by the prescription, the solution that the writer of Hebrews now puts forward. I want you to approach the throne of God with confidence. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. No one approaches human leaders with confidence. 
I would like for you to go to Washington, D.C. and attempt to approach the White House with confidence. Just go for it, jump the fence, and go approach the president with confidence. You ain't going to get very far. You even see that in the scriptures. What did Esther think about going before her husband, King Ahasuerus? And I'm going to go in there and talk to the king. Is she going to go in boldly with confidence before the throne? No. We don't live in a society like this, but you do not approach throne rooms with confidence. That is a terrifying idea. And by the way, you don't approach God's throne and call with confidence according to the scriptures either. Remember the law of Moses. Here's your tabernacle. And everybody just walked into the presence of God whenever they wanted to, right? Hey, let's go see God today. Let's just walk on in. Let's just check it out, right? No. God gave the Levites, set them up as a barrier around the tabernacle and told them, anybody who draws near, you cut them down with a sword because God is holy and you do not enter into that place. In fact, one person... One time a year, high priest walked into the very presence of God with confidence, I doubt it, and made offering for the people. And the writer of Hebrews says something absolutely staggering and foreign not only to human experience, but even to biblical experience, I want you to go before the throne of God with confidence. Are you kidding me? We shouldn't be allowed to do that. But that's because we have a great high priest. This great high priest who stands on our behalf, passing through the heavens and is in the very presence of God, now turns and says to us, you can approach God's throne. And not only is it not just approach God's throne, it is described as a throne of grace, not a throne of fear. You know, I would expect this to say, now let us approach the throne of fear with trembling and timidity and hope for the best. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. We are able to go into the very presence of God and take our needs and take our requests and take our weaknesses and take our concerns And expect to receive a favorable response. That's what's being depicted here. Why else could you go before God with confidence except you can expect a favorable outcome? That's why you have confidence. Favor is going to come your way. Grace is going to come your way. The sacrifice of Jesus, the cross of Jesus allows us to approach God. With confidence. And we do not have to be afraid to approach God's throne. Instead, what you are going to find 
verse 16, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Where you need to go is to the throne of grace. When you need help, God is the answer. And you will find the help that you need, the grace and the mercy that you need. That we have a high priest who stands between us and God who has made it possible for us to approach the throne of God and find acceptance before God. It should just be a staggering idea to us that we in our time of need, in our time of weakness, are able to approach the throne of God and to do it confidently because we can expect to find mercy and to find grace to help. We often turn to every answer, every other place of hope. And here is God saying, I gave my son as a sacrifice so that he could understand the human condition and knows weaknesses and knows difficulty and knows suffering and knows temptation and knows trial. And he did it perfectly. So that you can have access to the very throne of God. So that when you come in there, you will find mercy and grace. You will find your help for your time of need. Now let's bring this full circle to the beginning of the lesson. The warning that was given. Let us not fail to enter that rest because of unbelief. And I want us to hear what the writer of Hebrews is now saying to us as our help. Do not give up under the weight of trials and temptations. Do not quit because you are suffering. Do not lose heart because of what you are going through. Why? Because you have a great high priest who knows what life is like. And he understands what you are experiencing. And he also had to faithfully endure. He knows how hard it is. He knows what suffering is like. He knows what pain is like. He knows what temptations are like. He knows what trials are like. He knows what rejection is like. He knows what hurt is like. He knows the human experience. We read it when we went through the Gospels. We highlighted one of those where Jesus is by himself in the garden and he's saying there, my soul, my life is in great despair. He knows what that's like. He experienced it. It came out of his very mouth. He said it. Do not quit. Because you have a God who understands what you are going through. That Jesus understands the human condition. You do not have a God who does not understand. Further, do not give up. Because you are approaching a throne of grace. 
Do not give up because you are approaching a throne of grace. You are coming to the Lord and you will find mercy and you will find favor because Jesus is your great high priest who has offered himself up as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. I want you to really hear this this part. Your failure does not mean that your hope for rest is destroyed. Your failure in life does not mean all hope is lost. You have a throne of grace and you can come to the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and find the grace you need to help. You will find a forgiving God Every single one of us has failed. Every single one of us has fallen short and been crushed under temptations and trials and suffering and pain and loss. And we can approach a throne of grace to find the help that we need. We may have wrecked our lives. And we can still approach the throne to find grace and mercy. We might have been crushed by trials and chose to go our own way. And there is still mercy and grace to be found at the throne of God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is do not run away from God when not only you are experiencing temptation, trial, suffering, difficulties, but don't run away from God when you fail under those temptations, trials, suffering, and difficulties. Don't run from God. He knows the human condition. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He understands what we need. And we are able to come near to God and find the grace and the mercy that we need. We have a God that picks us up when we fall down. That's why Jesus came. That's what makes him the great faithful high priest. We fail. God picks us up. He cleans us off. He forgives us when we come before His throne. Have you noticed a thread that we have done in the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus, and even some of the things in the New Testament, and even what the writer of Hebrews has pointed out? Do you know the only way you will not find the help that you need is when you willfully choose to rebel against God and say, I don't care about God. I'm going to do what I want to do. If we willfully choose and say, I don't care about God, then there's not going to be the grace that we need. And he'll cross that in chapter 10. But that's not most people. For most of us in the room, we've fallen short. And here's all God's saying is come to the throne of grace, come and find forgiveness. Come turn away from those sins. Be cut to the heart. Be sorrowful over your sins. And you'll find the mercy and grace that you need. 
When you enter into a trial, go to the throne of God for help. When you are in the midst of temptation, go to the throne of God for help. When you are suffering, go to the throne of God for help. And when you fail, go still back to the throne of God for help. You have a sympathetic high priest who understands your weaknesses. He is the physician you need who understands the condition and has the solution to fix your life. But you have to come to him. We have to turn away from those things we know that are wrong and to serve Him and love Him and follow Him faithfully. May we never grow stubborn in our hearts toward God. In fact, if I were to connect Hebrews up together as we conclude, he asked the question, why did they fail to enter the rest? That was the whole prior chapter. Why did they fail to enter the rest? Because they willfully chose Unbelief. They did not believe that God was with them. They trusted in themselves. They said, we're going to go back to Egypt. We don't want this promised land. And God just simply says to us, if you don't want me, you don't have to have me. You're welcome to make that choice. But understand that there are consequences to that choice. But if you want God... You'll find a throne of grace. And you'll receive the mercy and the help that you need for whatever the difficulty is. Will you come to Him today? Turn away from your sins. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that is the starting point where you begin a relationship with Jesus. We encourage you to do that today. And if you have, say, wobbled in your faith, temptations, trials, suffering, difficulty have caused you to move in your faith away from God. You have a faithful high priest who understands and is calling for you to come back. He died and gave his life so that you can approach a throne and find mercy. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and roll?